0: If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. It's good to be back with you. I was in Soldotna, Alaska uh, last week, uh, hanging out with our sister church there, Birch Ridge Community Church. So. If you're ever in Saldana, you've got a place to go to church. We've got some great friends down there. So uh, anyways, that's where I was last week. It's it's, uh, great to be back here with you. So we have been going through a series on the book of Judges. And I know that you've been very excited about this. And that's why you've been reading the book of Judges on your own outside of class. And uh, of course, you've been memorizing key verses so that you can just soak in it. Uh, through the week. And so, of course, we appreciate that. If you haven't been doing that, there's still time to catch up. So uh, check out the book of Judges. Give it a read through. There's some really incredible stories. We're covering some of them here, but not all of them. So we're going to start this morning in Numbers. Doesn't that make sense? Numbers chapter 33 and in verse Fifty-five. God is giving the nation of Israel instructions about what they are to do once they cross that Jordan River into the promised land. And in this group of instructions, there is a warning to the people of Israel. It goes like this. It says, but if you fail to drive out the people who live in the land, those who remain will be like splinters in your eyes and thorns in your sides. So God tries to be as graphic as possible to make sure that we are aware of the gravity. In this case, the people of Israel, the gravity of this situation says they will harass you in the land where you live. Uh, I'm over 40 now, so I can say that I'm an old carpenter, but I used to be a young carpenter. And one of the things that I did not do that I very much should have done as a young carpenter is I did not wear safety glasses. And well, I got burnt several times, uh, whether I was using a saw or like jackhammering some concrete, but you know, various times I would get things in my eyes. How many times do you think it took me before I decided to wear safety glasses? Too many times, yeah. I mean, really, a a better thinking person, somebody with a little higher intelligence, the first time would have got their attention, Uh, because you know you've probably had something in your eye before. I'm guessing every at least had an eyelash in their eye, right? And that's like the lowest level of an irritant in your eye. And so we know that when something gets in our eye, it dominates our lives, right? There is nothing more important than getting that thing out of our eye. Like we no longer care about conversations. We don't, we're not interested in anybody else's opinion. We're not even interested in sharing our opinion other than this really hurts. And so, you know, everything gets dominated by that thing in our eye, right? Even if we have physical pains elsewhere, maybe your knees hurting a little bit, it just suddenly doesn't matter because something is in your eye. It's gonna just dominate life. Everything is gonna revolve around that issue. And this is what God is saying is going to be a problem if the Israelites don't drive everybody out like everybody. So as we're reading this story, as we're thinking about the people of Israel, a way in which uh, we should be looking looking at it and thinking about it is the fact that God calls us to holiness, right? God calls us to the promised land, which is to be holy, to be perfect, to be righteous. God is calling us there because he wants the very best experience for us. And in order for us to experience all of that, we need to clear things out. We need to clean the house. So in Judges chapter two, and starting in verse one, I think this is like part five of the series, so we finally made it to Judges chapter two. Uh, that's not actually how we're going. We've been cheating and jumping into later parts of the book, but chapter two in verse one, it says, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said to the Israelites, I brought you out of Egypt into this land that I swore to give your ancestors. And I said, I would never break my covenant with you for your part. You were not to make any covenants with the people living in this land. Oh, I already messed that one up. Joshua screwed that one up already. So you're not to make covenants, and it says instead you are to destroy their altars, which they have not done. But you disobeyed my command. Why did you do this? So now I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be thorns, In your sides, we've heard that somewhere before, haven't we? And their gods will be a constant temptation to you. But when the angel of the Lord finished speaking to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly. They realized that because they hadn't dealt with their problems, now they were going to have to deal with the consequences. So they called the place Bokum, which means weeping, and they offered sacrifices there to the Lord. I don't know if you had a dad like mine, probably not, but maybe there were some similar things, but um, one of the things that my dad liked to do was quality control. And so he would ask us to do something like vacuum and we would get the vacuum out and we would vacuum the area, but then there was quality control. And that was my dad going around and pointing at things. Oh, you missed this spot. A little bit later. Oh, you missed that spot over there too. Now, as a teenage boy, who's not really interested in helping other people out in the first place, and less interested in helping his family out, and who does not get excited in any way about vacuuming. It's a quite demeaning task to have gotten to the point where you decide where you're going to vacuum because, you know, everybody else in the house is bigger than you anyway, so you might as well do it. You don't really have an option. But I'm going to do it with a really poor attitude, right? We've all been teenagers. That's how we tend to respond. If you're doing that, you're you're just sort of, you know, making it through. And your dad comes along and does what he does, pointing things out, little tiny little strings on the ground that, actually are the same color of the carpet, so they're very difficult to see. In fact, he's probably the only person in the whole universe that could see that string. You start to ask yourself, why doesn't he just stay in his lazy boy and be lazy, like he's being right now? Because why is he doing quality control when he could be vacuuming? Right? You guys all, you know, you might not be a teenager anymore, but you remember. This is what it's like. Some of you are, you know, still have a mental process like this, right? And depending on what people ask us to do, yep. Mm-hmm. But there was that quality control there, right? And you, you get down, you get your nose three inches from the ground, and you can finally see the string. Oh, huh, I guess there was something there. And so you get the vacuum, you go over it 12 times. You get down, you inspect again. Because the last thing you want is your dad coming back and saying, hey, the string is still there. Right? That's annoying. God is like that. Sorry, you were thinking God loved you? Well, that's true, but God also is annoying sometimes. Like a lot of times, God doesn't let us off the hook. God is interested in our perfection. Did you know that? Like, God will not be satisfied until you are perfect. How do you feel about that? He's not satisfied until you are perfect, until your house, your spiritual house, is completely clean, 100% clean. You thought maybe oh, I was just going to come in today, maybe work on sort of one little area, maybe the pastor will say something inspiring, maybe I'll be a little bit more honest, uh, you know, this next week or you know a little bit more, uh, you know, something. I'll, I'll, I'll maybe grow just a little bit today, but I, so I'm here to tell you that God's not actually satisfied with us until we are totally perfect. You ready to walk out? Are we done? Well, there's some good news coming, just hold on. But God is very interested in us having a clean house, so we ought to take inventory on a regular basis. We ought to do quality control in our own house and see how we're doing. So ask yourselves right now, where is God asking me to clean house? I mean, for some people it's quite obvious, right? I mean, it's, just, it's like a glaring thing, like you, you walk into somebody's house and you can point out a thousand things. Wow, this place needs to be cleaned up. But other people, they, they put on a pretty good show, really. If you come to our house, for example, we put on a pretty good show. But then, I've, the sad news is I've turned out to be a lot like my father, right? In fact, I've, I don't know, did anybody notice this? little twisty tie somebody left around here. Very annoying. (laughs) Take care of that. Uh, Where was I? Let's think about in our spiritual houses what needs to be cleaned up. Is it possible that uh, maybe we need to clean up some gossip in our lives? Uh, I've always classified gossip as a female sin. Is there any other guys like me? Come on, one brave guy. And this is totally non-biblical, this is just me. But I've thought, well lust is like the, the male sin, and then gossip is like the female sin. Anyway, no biblical basis, that's just my weird thinking out here. But what I've found is that every once in a while, even as like mega-macho as I am, even I have been caught gossiping. I catch myself gossiping every once in a while. Uh, not like revealing confidential information. It's really bad to have a pastor who's a gossip, by the way. It's not a good combination. But just like, you know, little, little opinions about different people I have. Not in the church. Not at all in the church. These are people outside the church. Catch myself gossiping a little bit. Uh, maybe it's lust. Maybe it's greed. Maybe we're obsessing over having that next thing or having more of those things. Maybe we're clinging on to the things of this world too much. Maybe it's like an idol, like, you know, they're struggling with in in, uh, Judges. You know, it's not actually like, we we talk about worshiping idols, and sometimes maybe we get the idea that, like, these idols were really magnificent, and so, you know, you'd be tempted to go worship at the idol. Like, the idol itself wasn't ever anything really that impressive. It was... What you did in worship of that idol, like sexual practices, for example, that would be brought into worship of that idol, that's the thing that attracted people to, worshiping false gods. Uh, So is there something, is there some, you know, thing that we really like doing, being a part of, that's actually separating us from God in some way? Uh, We have an idol in our life that has primary status rather than God himself. Um, Maybe it's fear. Any parents in the room? Parents spend a lot of time fearing for their children. And did you know that the Bible instructs us that we are not to fear as Christians? Did Did you know we're called out of fear There's only one fear we're supposed to have, and that is to fear the Lord. And that means this deep, sincere respect and with a little bit of fear in there, actual fear. We should only have one fear. And the reason God allows us that one fear is because if that is our only fear, then we fear nothing else. right, so we're called out of fear. So parents... We're called to live boldly and courageously, not fearing for our children. Children, you are called to live without fear. It doesn't mean fear might, or it doesn't mean that fear shouldn't ever just like enter in like as a thought, as a possibility in your life. Certainly we were placed in fearful situations. Certainly God calls us to fearful situations. But we are called to respond differently to fear than somebody who does not fear the Lord. So where is it in your spiritual house? Walk around, do some quality control, even right now. And I'm guessing because God is who he is and because he is not satisfied until that carpet is swept absolutely clean, I'm guessing he's pointing something out to you and asking you, to vacuum that area again. Let's go over that one more time. Maybe one more time. And we're not quite there, let's go over that again. But we realize eventually that clean is good. Clean is good. You guys all have a friend who has a car, who drives a trash can. I mean, they get done with their Coke, and apparently it's so difficult to remove that Coke can from the vehicle. Like, it's just a labor that is too difficult, and so that Coke can gets left there. And halfway through their fries, they, they don't know what to do with them. They've, they've reached their limit, and so the fries go down in the cracks. Because you wouldn't want to put them somewhere where you'd remember to clean them out of the vehicle. And it just goes on and it piles up and there doesn't seem to be any concern. And that is the friend you don't really want to drive with, right? Because you have to like scrape off the seat, kick things out of the footwell, and then there's some room for you. Right, I think we probably all recognize that there's a great advantage in things being clean, that there's a freedom there. Things are in their place, so things are you know, where you would expect to find them and want to find them, and there's freedom of movement. You know, you can lay down on the carpet and, you know, roll around if you want to, and you're not going to come back up with, like, mold on you or something, right? This is what God wants for us. He wants us to experience freedom. He wants the best for us. Like, if you had to pick right now, okay, you can have a dirty like a totally junked out, dirty house. Animals peeing all over the carpet like all the time. You know, I mean, dirty, 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 dirty. Or you could have this really clean house. How many of you would say, oh, put me in the filth, yeah. Uh, I'm not suggesting to any of you that you should clean your actual house. Maybe you should. But that's not what this is about. I'm talking about cleaning our spiritual houses. God tells us that if we don't, it's gonna be like having a splinter in our eye, a thorn in our side. It's just gonna be an annoyance. It's just gonna be something that hinders us, that keeps us from experiencing the best in life. And don't we know that? Don't we know that? It's just difficult to do, right? And that's why Israel, goes. they just go through this cycle where they let things go. They let dirt build up. They let a little mold go. They let things go until, well, it just gets so bad, right? There's an axiom about change that goes like this, that we fail to change until the pain to remain the same is greater than the pain to change. Right? And so we just go until it gets so filthy. Now there's a pile of trash on the driver's seat. So there's no way we can drive this vehicle until we've detailed it. And so we deal with the pain. We cry out to the Lord. And we say, help, this mess is way too big for me to clean. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Say, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Judges chapter 17 and verse 6. There is this verse, it's repeated Uh, a couple of times in the book of Judges, as though the author is trying to kind of hew us into something, but it says this, in those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So, I'd like for you to close your eyes for just a minute, and uh, this is not an excuse to take a nap, Steve. Uh, Just close your eyes for just a minute, And I want you to imagine a scenario. I want you to imagine a kindergarten class at peace. I want you to think about the different activities the students would be doing. They'd be sitting there in their desk. Everything is calm. Everything is nice. People are doing all the activities that they want to be doing. And there is peace in the room. Just enjoy that moment for a second. Now... I want you to imagine that same classroom where the teacher has been gone for half an hour. You can open your eyes. Did you see chaos? Did you see mayhem? Have you ever seen the movie Kindergarten Cop? Any Arnold Schwarzenegger fans in here? If you're ever going to watch like a rom-com, you can watch that one because it's safe because it has Schwarzenegger in it, right, if you're, as, as a dude, right? So there is this time where, you know, I think he's an undercover cop, uh, maybe to protect one of the kids in the class or something like that, but he's very ill-equipped to be a, an actual kindergarten teacher, and he leaves them alone for just a few seconds of a conversation outside the room with some other teachers, and they say, oh, you should probably check in your classroom. He blows it off. Oh, I think they're fine. But then he looks in the window. (laughs) Chaos has erupted, right? I mean, they're throwing paint on the chalkboard. There's like somebody's emptying a bag of flour in the middle of the room, and another kid's up on the piano, like running on the keys. Just total mayhem and chaos. So we all recognize the value of leadership, Right, Schwarzenegger sort of comes back into the room and yells—you know, some big yell—gets everybody's attention, and order is restored because the leader has come back into the room. Right, so we all recognize the the value and the need to be governed, the need for governance. In fact, this is such an important thing. We sort of do a uh, a non—we try—we attempt to do a nonviolent revolution every two to four years in our country. Right, we, we, We're very concerned about who's leading because leadership is so incredibly important. And so the problem here in the, the book of Judges is that whenever the leader was out of the room, everybody just did as they saw fit. And what the author of Judges is doing is setting us up for the fact that Israel needs a king. Israel is in desperate need of consistent leadership. Judges are temporary, right? The difference between a judge, like a judge is like a temporary leader in this case, right? They, they they're raised up by God. They lead the nation of Israel. While they're alive, Israel does sort of well. As soon as they die, down the drain because the teacher's out of the room. So now everybody does life as they see fit. Have you ever done life as you saw fit? How did that go? Uh, We need leadership. We need to be governed. And right now you're thinking, but I'm an American. And I believe in individual self-governance. Hmm, interesting. Now, I'm not proposing that we establish a monarchy. But, you know, just kind of poking you a little bit to think about some of these things. The nation of Israel desperately needed a king. They needed consistent leadership. So I'm gonna read you some passages uh, that might surprise you. Uh, The first one is Genesis chapter 17 and verse six. This is where God is making his covenant with Abraham. Changing his his name from Abram to Abraham and describing what it's going to look like. In verse 6, he says, I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. So God, in the initial covenant with Abraham and the initial description of what Israel would look like, there is this mention of this proclamation of the fact that there will be kings involved. Right? This is going to be an actual nation that is going to get to the place where a king will be in charge. Okay? So the reason I bring that up is to say that Judges is not like a thought experiment for God. He didn't go in sort of wondering whether or not humanity needed leadership. Right? He didn't go in wondering whether or not governance would be a good idea. Uh, He knew that ahead of time. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 17, and starting in verse 14, this might surprise you. He's telling the people of Israel uh, potentially what things are going to be like as they head into the promised land. So he says, you're about to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you take it over and settle there, you may think we should select a king to rule over us like other nations around us. If this happens, he doesn't say this should not happen. He doesn't prohibit a king. Right? He knows it's coming. He knows it's part of the plan. He's told Abraham it is part of the plan. If this happens, be sure to select as king the man the Lord your God chooses. Oh, here we have it. Here we have it. Right? If you were wondering how to pray for elections, right there. That's how to pray for elections. That the person would be the person that God would choose. That this would be a godly leader. You must appoint a fellow Israelite. He may not be a foreigner. The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself, (coughs) Solomon, or send his people to Egypt to buy horses, (coughs) Solomon. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt, (laughs) Solomon. Uh, Sorry, you guys picking up a theme here? I'll stop doing that. The king, well, I should probably continue. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. This is like the story of Solomon, right? And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. So God is not surprised, and God has provided for the nation of Israel in advance by giving them a picture of what godly leadership looks like, godly governance looks like. It says, when he sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself this body of instructions on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. Right, so there's witnesses to the king writing it out. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, writing it out. There's a witness. The king is responsible now to God. This is godly leadership, putting himself under God. He must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. So daily devotion started a long time ago. That way he will learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. This regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he is above his fellow citizens. Right? The word of God does not return void. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way. God is concerned about details, isn't he? And it will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. The blessing. This is God's heart for the nation of Israel. This is God's heart for good governance. Because God wants blessing for us. God wants abundance for us. God wants Life, true and real life for us. And so he gives us the path to get that. So, God has not been surprised by humanity's need for leadership. God has given us provision for that, he has shown us what godly leadership looks like. By the way, God has given each one of us a sphere of governance. All right, we're each created in the image of God. And Genesis tells us that that means that we have been given this role to rule, to reign over the earth. All right, that is our role. That is the way we reflect the glory of God is through good governance. Right, some people have the opportunity to do it in a very high profile way. But all of us are given a sphere of governance. All of us are given a place in which we rule and we reign. Certainly, all of us at the very least rule and reign within our own hearts and minds. Here's the great news: Genesis 49 and verse 10. I'm pulling all this from the Old Testament so that you know as we come into the book of Judges, you know, God's not surprised by this. God is working out this plan from the very beginning. So in 49:10, uh, Jacob is prophesying over uh, his different sons, which will become the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what he says in verse 10. He says, the scepter, you know what a scepter is? It's something the king carries or the queen. But the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. Who do you think Jacob is referring to there? He's referring to Jesus. He's referring to the true king. He's referring to the perfect king. You see, God knows that we need a king. We are designed, we are created to need a king. In order to be our best, not just because God wanted to have some minions to rule over, but God created us in such a way that in order for us to be at our best, we're in right relationship with the king, with the one who governs us, with the one who rules over us. Has anybody ever been inspired by a leader? Uh, you know, let's take politics for example because that's really an easy one, but uh, do you think that if you listen to Winston, Winston Churchill's speech in the House of Commons that uh, brought England into World War II, do you think that you'd be inspired by that? You probably would. If you've never heard that speech, go listen to it. Uh, I don't see a lot of like black folks in here, but Martin Luther King Jr., Steps of the Lincoln Memorial. We're all familiar with Parts of that speech, right? And it's inspiring. It's inspiring, it inspires us to be our best, to do our best, right? We love good leadership, actually. We're designed to respond to godly leadership. Well, the cool thing about our king He's the perfect leader. He's the perfect leader. And if you've ever been around a leader that you wanted to follow, that you were inspired to follow, somebody who pulled the best out of you, maybe a a coach at some point, they, they were pulling the best out of you because of the way they challenged you, because of the way they pointed at the string in the carpet, and said, hey, missed a spot. Well, that person wasn't perfect. They may have gotten close because of how they led, but that person wasn't Jesus. This is why Jesus is perfect. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. He is the perfect king because he has decided in advance to use all of his power and glory and might and strength and truth and beauty and holiness. He has decided to use all of that, all of his glorious riches to benefit us, to serve you and I, to work on our behalf. And that's why he is worthy of our praise. That's why he is worthy of our response to his incredible grace. That's why he is worthy to clean our house for. That's why we ought to be as diligent as possible to clean everything out of our spiritual house. Because he is worthy, because he is perfect, because he has used all of his leadership Power and status and place to serve us. And if you are wondering what godly leadership looks like, if you are wondering what perfect leadership looks like in your sphere of governance, that's what it looks like. Using all of your resources to serve the people in your sphere. Please join me for a word of prayer. Father, we pray that you would give us strength and diligence and perseverance to clean our spiritual house. That you would help us root out evil. That you would help us put in new filters. Father, we pray that you would help us accept fully your leadership, that we would trust you completely. We would not just do as we see fit, but that we would seek you in all of our ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world and hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks, and this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the Events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends and we will see you next week.